this week, what we're going to go into, and for the next eight weeks, is a sermon series on faith in the book of Hebrews 11. And, and this is what motivated that. Uh, two weeks ago, I had the awesome opportunity with uh, Megan Shepard and her mom to go to the Seattle Art Museum. How many of you guys have been to the Seattle Art Museum? It's like half-passionate hand-raising. Um, <laughs> don't be ashamed. It's a beautiful museum. So I went to the Seattle Art Museum, and as I wandered around the, the bottom floor of it, um, the, the two exhibits that struck me the most were the Aboriginal exhibit from Australia and the pieces of art from Native Americans, uh, both throughout Washington and then up in Alaska. And, and as I looked at these baskets from from uh, Native Americans that they constructed, and I, I read the little plaque next to it, it said that, that baskets were so frequently used throughout their lives, they were just uh, used for everything that they invested in their baskets their whole story. And so they spent time picking out the exact material they wanted for it. And then, and then as they constructed those baskets, you can see weaved into these things is this story that, that even if they were going to take a basket and go fishing and bring fish back from the river to their camp, they wanted that basket to tell their whole story because it was such a, a thorough part of their lives. And I thought, what... What tells my story? Does what I preach tell accurately my story? Does the things I create on a day-to-day basis, does the work that I do tell my story? Does the basket that I carry my clothes in from the laundry room to my room, right? All those little things that, that our stories are being told in everything we surround ourselves by, everything we speak, everything we do, and yet I don't think we realize that very often. And so our sermon series is simply called this. It's Faith, the Way We See the World. Because all of us see the world in a certain way, from a certain framework. We just take things in and we, we believe it. We act accordingly. But I think if I asked you... Spur of the moment, what, tell me your story. Tell me what, what your faith is. It might be challenging to give me this, this whole, like, if I said weave it into a basket, what would that look like for you to actually do that, to represent everything about you there, simply? I think one of the reasons why it's so hard for us to identify our faith in this way is because faith for us is something that doesn't require much. And if we see a faith that actually is requiring something or is honored, it kind of startles us. And there's two examples I want to give of this. One is uh, one is that's hard and one that's maybe easier to stomach. One that's hard is when we see faith represent itself in a movement like the Islamic State. Right? We see some people with absolute conviction just moving with it, and, and we go, oh, that makes me uncomfortable. Right? We, we don't necessarily know how to confront their faith. We're just like, that's bad, that's mean. Right? But th- these are people with it, 
If you ask them, what would you weave on a basket? They'd weave it, right? They, they know what they think. And so many of us, we just come with, with our view of the world going, well, we just got limited conviction, but we're moving with it. And if you actually required it of us, maybe we, we would say, well, I hope this is true. Maybe an easier story to see is someone like, uh, this is an easy example, right? A Mother Teresa, who you see giving her life because of her convictions. Right? And we honor that. Why? Because she is doing something that we would consider good. But if you realize that you shared her faith and shared her convictions, but didn't act out life like she acts out life, it might get a little harder, Right? If you say, Mother Teresa, why do you do this? And she says, I do this. This is the literal quote that she had. She says, people need to see past the work I do because it's not the work itself. But what I do is to show Jesus to the world. And and if if that's what you'd weave on your basket, showing Jesus to the world, why does that look so different than Mother Teresa? Because she's doing it. Right? Because everything she does is representing her heart for humanity, which she believed was created the image of God. And you'd say, well, I, I vote for that. <laughs> so where's the disconnect? How, how do we see the world? Uh, the, um, the song we sang earlier, Be Thou My Vision. Right? That, I want that to kind of be our prayer. It would be a beautiful prayer as we go through the sermon series. We just pray, oh God, Shape me in such a way. Help open my eyes. Take blinders off so that I see the world the way you see the world. Because that's what faith is. Faith is literally the way you see the world. And so what I want to do during, during this uh, short period of time with you is, is just say clearly what faith is not. And then tell you clearly what faith is. Because I think there's a lot of misconceptions about the idea of faith and, um, and what we kind of get away with, <laughs> not really knowing how to represent ourselves to, to others. There's five things that faith is not. And if you find yourself throughout this time going, oh, man, I relate a little too much with that one. That's uncomfortable. <laughs> well, just hold out for when we say what faith is. The first thing that faith is not is that faith is not just a spiritual or religious idea. And that's a, that's a misnomer that we have in our culture. Right? Oftentimes the way people refer to the Coffee Oasis is a faith-based organization. And what they mean is that it's a religious organization. But by, by pigeonholing faith into something that's just religious, what it's saying is that well, that's just for those people that don't really have uh, a foundation. And so they're just going with it, well, which we'll reply to a little more later. Um, it's assuming that if you are a person of faith, that you have incomplete understanding as opposed to the person of maybe science who has complete understanding. Right? And so it allows us just to kind of be in our own little sphere and kind of do what we want. And, oh, we're going to give them tax write so they can just keep doing it, right? 
That, that isn't, faith isn't that. Faith isn't just a religious term. Faith is something that everyone practices. It's the way everyone sees the world. And so, <laughs> you know, person who doesn't believe in God is practicing faith. Right? Because they are seeing the world in a certain way that makes them react to others or interact with others. Right? Uh, it can easily be expressed in something like football, right? Where, where faith is expressed, and this is the easiest way to, to understand it, because it, I went to a football game yesterday for little kids. It was super fun. Uh, <laughs> but, but when one of the teams got, like, was getting demolished, the coach came out and was just raging, and he was like, defense, right? And, and what, because the way he saw the world is that was way more important than loving children, right? Like, you see your faith come out in your emotions, right? So faith isn't just religious. Faith is when you are really emotionally involved and you just, you, that's the way you see the world. So don't let it be pigeonholed into something that just has to do with, with religion. Second thing faith is not, is faith is not just a feeling. It's not just a, a gut instinct, it's not like I'm going with this because I have a burning in my heart. And oftentimes, oftentimes we can think that's what it is. As if, because I feel something so passionately, it must be right. That, that isn't what faith is. Faith is not just wishful thinking. So it's not, I, I want something to be true so much that I'm going to believe it. Oftentimes, people will say, well, you believe in God, I believe in Santa Claus, right? I want something, I'm going to believe it. And that, that is not what faith is. That's kind of what spurred on Marxism, right, with Feuerbach, was this idea that religion was the opiate of the people because they so wanted to get out of the, the challenges they were facing, that they believed in a God to help them as a form of escapism. But, but again, faith isn't wishful thinking. That won't help you if it's not real. Fourth thing is, faith is not blind trust. Faith is not blind trust. What that, what, what that would mean is, say, say you're on a plane, and... And someone goes down, right? Someone, like, falls out of their seat. What do they say? They go, is someone a doctor on this plane? Right? Why do they not go, hey, can just someone come diagnose this? Right? That would be blind trust. Because they'd be like, hey, Daniel, come over here. And I'd be like, well, he looks like he's struggling. I don't know. I don't have authority in that. So faith isn't blind trust like, well... <laughs> Next guy is just as good as me to like say something about this, but too often, right? People come and they pretend that all religions are just a matter of blind trust, and so it doesn't matter kind of where you where you locate yourself within them, because you're just as good of authority as I am on this, right? So it isn't this just blind trust, like this leap into the darkness, uncertainty. But that's, for a lot of people, what faith has become. I don't know why I believe in God. I just do. 
The last thing is that faith is not irrational, which again is this this terrible idea that, that maybe I don't have a reason to believe this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Or, even though the evidence points in the opposite direction, I'm still going to believe this anyway. Does that make sense? So this is, this is the way people often view Christians. Well, the evidence is all pointing this way, but you're still going that way. You must be a Christian. Right, that's... <laughs> That's not the case at all. So what does it mean to be a person of faith if it's not these things? If it isn't wishful thinking, if it's not best guessing, if it's not irrationality, if it's not some leap into the void, right? Well, I don't know anything better, so I'm just going to go for this. The Bible describes faith very differently. In Hebrews 11, which we're going to be in today, it, it both defines faith and then it, it describes it not in terms of maybe like a statement of faith, which is bullet points, like we believe Jesus is God, we believe the Bible is, you know, those things that we might often think of as like defining faith, this is, this is it, just hold these things, insert chip here, you're good to go. What it does is it defines faith, and then it describes what it looks like through the eyes of people who are living that way. And this is really, really helpful for us because, because we get to see it at work. We get to see it not just be someone who uh, didn't have anything better to do with their time, so they decided to go to church on Sunday, but these people who invested all and then what the assurance they got from investing all in the reality of who God is. So, if you uh, have a Bible, turn with me in Hebrews 11, verses 1 through 3. It says this, it says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So how does this help us? Well, it tells us what faith is. And it is these three things. Faith is first, confidence. It is second, conviction. And it is third, understanding. And these are really, really beautiful terms because it anchors us. It says, I have something to hold on to. So faith being confidence is first this. If you uh, grew up as a child and heard any sort of stories growing up, there was one that probably you heard, which was called The Three Little Pigs. Three Little Pigs was a terrific story for one of the pigs. (laughs) The other two, not so much. (laughs) The Three Little Pigs is a story of of three brother pigs. And uh, there's a wolf that's out to get them. Pigs are tasty. And, and so, so each of them have left their parents' home to go make it in the world by themselves. And so knowing that they've left, that they're vulnerable, that they're unwise, this wolf pursues them. Knowing, however, that the wolf is out there, each of them decide to build their own homes. The first builds a home out of straw, right? The second builds his home out of twigs, 
and a third builds his home out of brick. <laughs> so when the wolf comes by to the first house and knocks on it, little pig, little pig, let me in. And, and what does the pig say? <laughs> Not by the hair of my... Ch- that wasn't even in my notes. I just remembered that. <laughs> Not by the hair of my chinny-chin-chin. And then the, the, what does the wolf say? <laughs> and, I'll, and I'll huff and I'll puff and I'll blow your little house down. And he does that, right? He huffs and he puffs and he, he blows the house down of the, the first little pig, right? Okay, second little pig has a similar experience. He has his house of twig. House gets blown down, gets eaten. Third little pig, brick. Wolf comes, it stands. Why? Because what he built could withstand the test of what came against it. And so, so in Hebrews 11, that's what it's referring to when it talks about a confidence in God and his promises is that, that what you've put your trust in will it stand when the challenges come against it? Will it stand? And that's exactly where we find the church that is being written to in Hebrews. If you look to Hebrews 10, 32, this is what he writes. He says, Remember those earlier days after you received the light when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Right? This, isn't, this isn't a church that just wasn't, a, they could just rest in a hammock and not worry about anything that would come their way. No, this is a, a church that, that had things coming their way. And if, if they hadn't put their hope in something that was true and rewarding and, and actually gave them peace and satisfaction, they wouldn't have lasted. Going on, it says, Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insults and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possession. And so when that comes, what does your faith look like? What is your confidence in? And like, like the story of the three little pigs, right? If you've built your whole life on something that, that isn't true or something that does not truly satisfy, then when the storms come, when the suffering comes, when the persecution comes, can you joyfully accept it? And that will expose us very quickly. What is this faith? What does this confidence look like? Um, I just did a quick word search in the scripture, and, and in Matthew, there was these three stories side by side that illustrated this confidence well. In Matthew 8, there's a story of a centurion who um, he has a servant that he, he loves. You get the sense that they are good friends, and he he wants the best for his servant who, who is sick and dying. And so this servant comes, this uh, centurion comes to Jesus and pleads with him to come. And Jesus says to him, he says, I'm willing to come to your home. And what the centurion says is, I'm not worthy to have you in my home. All you need to do is say the word and he'll be healed. 
And what Jesus says about this man, he says, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith, with such great confidence, a confidence in God and what he promised. In Matthew 9, we have a story of a, of a paralytic, someone who can't walk, who's brought to Jesus. And it says, Jesus 9, verse 1 and 2, it says, And Jesus stepped into a boat and crossed over. He came to the other side of the town. Some men brought to him a paralytic lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. And he gets up and he walks. And so this fish, this this confidence in who Jesus is and what he can do. Later on, there's a woman in in Matthew 9 who comes and she's been bleeding for years and she comes to Jesus and she's healed. And what he says is, he says in verse 22, take heart, daughter, your faith has healed you. And so what faith is, is faith is not an experiment. Right? It isn't a feeling that I'm just going to go with or an irrational, well, maybe let's try this out. It is an all-out conviction. It's a, it's a confidence in, in who God is and what he can do. Where, where does that come from? And that's, that's where we move into the next part, which is that it's not just this confidence that it's not an experiment. I'm all out trusting in God and the way he sees the world and the way he says things, we move into a conviction. It comes from a conviction of who he is. Right? It's a confidence in him, but why would you put your confidence there? Why would you use that to build your house? Why? It doesn't make any sense. It's irrational. Well, that's where the conviction comes from because it makes a whole lot of sense. There was a, a time I was in when I was in college where I went to hear someone speak. And, uh, and every time he spoke about Jesus, instead of saying, I believe that, he would say, I am convinced that. And I was like, this guy's amazing. <laughs> Why? Because, because I'd inherited this idea where faith meant like, so I think that if we go this direction, it will be awesome. <laughs> where, where when he said, I'm convinced, I was like, conviction. There's conviction there. But for a lot of us, when we talk about our, our faith, when we talk about the way we see the world, we couldn't say, I'm convinced. What, what could make him say he was convinced? What could make these people, regardless of the suffering, whatever they were going through, say, I'm convinced that God is who he says he is, that Jesus is who he says he is. And what led the people in Hebrews... To be convinced of that is, if you turn to to chapter 10, starting in verse 19, it says, Therefore, brothers, we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled, cleansed, from guilt, a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we professed, for he who promised is faithful. So if you, if you listen to the language in that, it is this. He says, we have confidence, we draw near with full assurance, we hold unswervingly, because he who promised is faithful, because he who promised is going to 
going to go through with it. And so, so the reason that they had such confidence in suffering when the, when the wolf of the world came to blow their house down, why they had such confidence is because they had seen Jesus. Not the, don't take this the wrong way. Not the Jesus of your faith. Not the Jesus of your faith that you're still doubting. They put their confidence in the Jesus that they had seen merely a couple years earlier live and die and rise again for them. Jesus was a real person to them. He wasn't a, he wasn't a person of your faith. And what I mean by that, he wasn't a person that you tried to conjure or create because, oh, I just need to put a lot of trust in this. No, because he was, and he existed, and he did something that overturned the Old Testament system, which he talks about earlier in the chapter of having to sacrifice year after year after year. But when they saw the man Jesus who did come and did live, and they saw what he did, and in him they said, the sacrifice is done, his blood covers my guilt. I'm free in him. They were convinced In verse 2 of chapter 11, it says, this is what the ancients were commended for. And what that means is this, that in the Old Testament, those people had the same sort of conviction, and that conviction came from where? It came from seeing a God who made promises and then came through on those promises. So the Bible is this crazy book. And what makes it crazy is that promises are made throughout the whole thing. It's not ashamed about making claims. Where if you read other books, it'll be like, well, like, so I could stand before you and be like, so in 2050, dolphins are going to rule the world. Right? And some of you would be like, I thought they were smart. But some of you would be like, wait a minute. Yeah. But the Bible throughout the whole book is making claims. And then, and then seeing those claims fulfilled. And so the people of the Bible have been people who trusted a God who said this and then came through with that. And the hard thing with us is in our hearts, we read the Bible and we're like, God's not saying anything new. Right? But when we read the Bible, we realize he's actually making claims and following through on those claims. He says that he himself will come, Emmanuel, God with us. And we saw God with us in the person of Jesus. But the crazy thing is you're irrational when you're like, I don't believe that. (laughs) And that's where in 1 John where it says, he sent light into the world that men loved darkness instead because God's the one going, I'm presenting to you something very rational. I'm saying things and then I'm doing those things that I say. What are you going to do about that? And you go, I'm not going to put my faith in that. I don't feel that. And God goes, it's not about what you feel. It's about what I'm doing and what I have done. And so it's a confidence in God and his promises because we know that God to be a God who fulfills his promises. 
And that's what faith is. Not going, well, he's, his poetry is a lot better than the Hindu poetry. Right? No, it's not about your taste for poetry. It's about saying, is this accurate? And you can read the Bible and say, yeah. And this, this comes to the last point. with his, So you have confidence, you have this conviction, and then you have understanding. And so faith leads to understanding. And what I mean by this is too often we've used faith thinking that when we say faith, it, that this faith has power to create things. Faith doesn't have any power in itself. It can believe in what has power. Does that make sense? So faith is putting your trust in something, and will that something follow through? Case in point, are you building a straw house or a brick house? If you put your trust in a brick house, no matter how much trust in a straw house, no matter how much trust you have, when that wolf huffs and puffs and blows on your little house, <laughs> poor little house, <laughs> right? So it doesn't matter the unction you have in your soul when you believe in something. If what you believe is false, it's false. But if what you believe has content and power and substance, then it's, it's worth putting your trust in, Right? And so faith leads to understanding because we've seen a God who makes promises. We've seen him come through on those promises. And then what kind of understanding do we get from that? Well, we see the way he starts this in verse 3. It says, by faith we understand the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. We see that God, like the weaver of that basket, filled it with purpose. Filled the world with purpose. And that's what he's saying, that's what the writer is saying here. The writer is saying, we've seen God who made promises, fulfilled promises, and so now as he starts telling the story of the way we, who put our faith in God, see the world, he goes, let's start at the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void, and the Spirit hovered above the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. By faith, we understand that the world was formed, right? It was formless and void, and then he gave it form. And you can go, okay, that's again, you're getting irrational, right? But this is the cool thing. And, and it points out in the movie really well that we watched last night, God's Not Dead, that, that while people have fluctuated on these issues, the cool thing is we who have gone, God is reliable. God made promises. Some of those promises were as simple as this kingdom will succeed. Some of them were as complex as my kingdom God's kingdom, as he says. My kingdom will succeed and will reign. And in the end, there will be no more tears and no more crying. <laughs> I will make justice reign. That, he makes those promises. And when, when the Christian has said, I have believed those things, and now I go back and I say, I believe that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And we've just stuck there. Right? And while other things have fluctuated, as we come back, 
the amazing thing is, this is the account you get now. In the beginning, there was an explosion. Not an explosion like those familiar on earth, starting with a definite center and spreading out to engulf more and more. But an explosion which occurred simultaneously everywhere, filling all space from the beginning with every particle of matter rushing apart from every other particle. With the tini- within the tiniest split second, the temperature hit 100,000 million degrees centigrade. This was so much hotter than any, hottest, any of the hottest stars we have ever known. None of the components of ordinary matter, molecules or atoms, or even nuclei of atom, could have been held together at this moment. The universe was filled with light. That's the words of Nobel Prize physicist Steve Weinberg. In the beginning, in that split second, light. And so when we go, okay, I'm, I'm, I have a confidence in God. That's where I'm, that's what, what my house is built. That's why, the way I see the world. And that conviction comes from God being faithful to what he has said over and over and over again. And so then I go back and I start seeing how the basket is constructed, seeing how I would make that basket. And the way it would begin is this. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. That where we begin is that God is and everything else flows out of that. And so the exciting thing is the next couple weeks as we talk about faith, the way we see the world, we're going to see what's often called the Hall of Fame of Faith. These these, uh, men and women who who put their full confidence in God. They didn't, hold, they didn't use it as an experiment, but their conviction was that God is who he says he was. And, and so we're going to go through Hebrews 11, and we're going to pair the stories of faith that you see there throughout the scripture with examples from more modern-day people who also did it. Because oftentimes it can be like, oh, that was Abraham, that was Moses. But what we're going to do, just as we preach through this series, is also bring along people who are, are doing that. Some are alive, some are not. Um, so I'm really excited to walk with you guys through this. My challenge for us as a church is to be people who, who learn how to say what we see. I think sometimes we can be so bashful because we think when we use the word faith, people are just going to, oh, that's irrational. That's wishful thinking. That's just your spiritual jargon. But, but how do we say, I don't, this isn't just, just my little cozy nook of the universe I'm describing. This is everything. <laughs> and, and I think as we begin to be able to say what we see, as we begin to, as it says in Matthew, acknowledge Jesus before men, and he acknowledges us before the Father, there will be a tremendous liberation in our church just being able to speak the faith that is so true to us and knowing how to say, this is, this is how you should build your house. So, guys, put your confidence 
in God and know that your conviction is based upon his promises that he has spoken and been true on. And from that, understand the world, the whole thing, your work, your play, your suffering, all those things come from the reality of who God is and how he made you and made everything else. So with that, I'm going to pray and then we'll worship together. God, help us understand you. You gave us uh, promises and you gave us the Bible. And you still speak in your Holy Spirit to us. And I pray that we will listen well and just, God, we'll love, we'll love you. Um, we'll love you strongly. We'll love you with conviction and confidence. We'll know that there's nothing people can say that can take that away. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.